Welcome to the Music, Money, and Life podcast. For a free four-hour audio video course all about how to make money licensing your music in TV shows, films, and ads, visit htlympremium.com. That's htlym, as in how to license your music, premium.com. So I'm speaking with Michelle, let me make sure I pronounce your name correctly, Michelle Weiss-Maslin. Did I say it more or less correctly? How part of it, the last name is Maslin. Maslin. Yes. You say Maslin, I say Maslin. <laughs> um, so I six years. I inherited that name, so I just say it the way they say it. Well, that makes sense. And well, you should. You should, continu- <laughs> you should continue to say to say it that way. So... What have you been up to for the last six years? I have been up to the same stuff. Yeah? Making music, pitching music, music all day. Except for like you, I also developed a course. Yeah, I saw that. I've seen you in in a couple different Facebook groups that I think we're both members of. Tell me about your course. What is that about? Yeah, my course is probably similar to yours. I do a music licensing, music business, all things music course. And I developed it over COVID. Before then, I was giving okay. day, day courses. Like people I, were come to my studio in the mm-hmm. building where my studio is. And I'd host, you know, 60, 70 people. And it'd oh, be wow. live and I'd cater it. And I do a one-day ask me anything Q and a usually lasted like eight hours and people would eat and drink and ask questions and mingle. But then of course, when COVID came, right. I, I was not licensing anything because I didn't want to pitch anything to all these music supervisors and A&R people who had no jobs weren't working. So I thought, what can I do? Okay. I'll expand my classes into a course. And I had a coach, I hired a coach and I did that. And I'm sure for like for you, it's been rewarding. I mean, mine is on a smaller scale because I think I'm not, I'm just not marketing it to enough people maybe. And also I like to keep it Hmm. small because it's so hands-on that it, you wouldn't work for me to have hundreds and hundreds of students at the same time. Sure. Um, and h- how does your car- course work? Is there a lot of, uh, a lot of interaction with your students? Is it, is it very interactive? Yes, it's very interactive. So my students write me all day. I give them office hours for seven hours, Monday through Friday and 24 hours on the Facebook. And they write me all day asking questions, needing help with registering songs and advice on licensing and pitch letters. And and I developed it so it was a live course. But then a lot of people weren't coming to it live, and that was very frustrating. So mm-hmm. I decided, okay, I'll make it a do-it-at-your-own-pace course. But then I found that people weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then... I started having what I call a Wednesday watch party where I invite my current students to come and watch the videos with me and then do live Q&A. And that's been good. But for a very small group of them who are really engaging, and yeah. coming, you know what I mean? So 
you can tell me more about it, but I am finding the balance of should it be do go at your own pace or is it better live has been challenging. Yeah. I mean, I think to a certain extent, allowing your students to kind of go at their, their own pace. I mean, everybody has different schedules and I get emails a lot, you know, from prospective students that will say, because I do like 60 day and 90 day long courses, but they're basically, everything can kind of be done at the student's convenience because a lot of times people will say, I'd love to take your course, but the last two weeks of the last 90 days, I'm going to be be busy or I'm going to be out of town. So there's always scheduling conflicts that, you know, that seem to come up. Right. Exactly. So mine started as a 20 week course okay. where there was a class every week and a Q&A every week. And then I found after COVID ended and I did two rounds of that, that it might be too long. So I chose to do 16 weeks. I consolidated it into 16 weeks and have an hour Q&A once a month. Then I morphed it into recording it live giving the class and now it's still 16 classes with a Q&A every month and I love my students so much and I want them to be engaged so you know it didn't matter to me much what's more convenient for me it turns out I'm watching it with them anyway yeah so I think the next version of my class will go back to being live if I do it if I do it again, because okay. yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just finding that. And then I did for one class I did where they had to have at least 10 songs recorded and ready to pitch because then I was finding, well, I had all these students, but they didn't have any product. Right. So yeah. Got nothing to, to pitch. Yeah. That wasn't helping them. So I'm morphing like, I don't know if you keep morphing, but I'm morphing into, you know, and then I have some students who are just doing amazing things. Maybe five of them have started their own licensing agencies, which have been incredible. And they're getting placements. And I have one student who last year got 25 placements and this year got more and she got a like I think two composers, composer gigs. She knew nothing before she took the course. Right. That's so rewarding, right? Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. It's super cool to to get news like that. Yeah. And like you said, it tends to be a fairly small percentage. I mean, I'm sure if a hundred people go through your course, maybe a handful of of your students actually go on to have that, that sort of success. But I think that's probably similar in other industries as well, I would imagine, but, but let's do this, Michelle, at yeah. the end of the, po- the podcast, I would be happy to, you know, we can tell people where they can learn more about you and your courses and everything you're up to, but I have a fairly sh- short list of questions here that I wanted to, to ask you. So one of the, the first questions, and, and, you know, now knowing that you do this course, I'm interested in knowing how do you juggle? Because I know you're very active in terms of writing and placing your, your own music. Have you found it challenging to, to juggle this new endeavor teaching and doing this course alongside all the writing and, and placements, you know, placing your own music? Well, yes and no. 
I've really morphed a lot of my creation into doing commissions. So I'm not writing as much just for the sake of writing as I used to. Because my catalog is huge. And I already have so much stuff to pitch. And so I did a bunch of commissions during while I've been giving the course. And I managed to get that done for sure. And I've also been pitching some, but not as much because as you are asking, as you know, because you teach a course and you also are a creator, that there there is just so many hours in the day. And sometimes by the end of the day, I've helped my students so much that I don't get to do what I have planned. So. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's fine. I love them. And it's, it's totally fine. And I love and want to do more commission work. I really love it. Like I just did um, songs for five songs for an animated movie and two songs for a TV show. And they were all commissioned and a bunch of songs for CBS. And like, I love doing that. So it's really fine. And then like two days ago, I finished a new song that's just for my catalog, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I'd say where I used to create for my own catalog, maybe a hundred songs a year, maybe I'm half that now. You gotcha. Know? So you're, yeah. you're, you're still really active, but maybe not quite as active as you were a few years ago. Yeah, I would say so. I, COVID changed nothing in terms of me, me and my workspace, because I always yeah. work alone, but COVID changed everything everything in terms of my what I was working on because when I created the course everything changed so, so but, do, do but you, you know I have a big record coming out next week I have two songs on a major artist's album coming out and I wrote yeah. his last single and so I'm still doing all of that it's just a little more of an organizational dance Gotcha. It's changed a little bit. Who is the artist that you? Jonathan ha- Butler, the, okay, the famous very, jazz artist. Very so, cool. Yeah, I've written with him and had some big jazz hits, if there are jazz hits, with him before. Mm-hmm. And okay. so this is his new album. Our single came out. Our, our single came out about a year ago, but now he has a new single out, and I have two songs on the album. One being the last single, and one being another song. So I'm really excited. It comes out on the 28th and I'm very excited about it. And he's my favorite artist to work with. He's truly amazing. Awesome. So like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's been six years since we did our previous podcast. And I actually, and I, I don't even know if you know this or or if you would know this, but but this is the first podcast that I've done the first music money in life podcast that I've done in over a year. And one of the reasons I sort of took a break from podcasting is I had been doing this podcast for, I think like seven or eight years. I've I've done quite a few episodes and I kind of reached this point where I felt like I was having a lot of the same conversations over and over with people. And I kind of felt like I was a little burnt out in terms of there's only so much to talk about in the context of licensing and publishing. But I feel like now I've taken a pretty long break and the world keeps changing and the music industry keeps changing. What do you feel like over the last five or six years have been the biggest changes you've seen 
in the sync licensing space. Well, I love that you took a break and I love that you've been doing the podcast and I kudos to you so much because that's, you're helping so many people and doing something creative in a different sense. So I love that. And in terms of the, yeah, definitely. And in terms Mm -hmm. of, and I get you, you know, I read all your emails and all the promo you sent for your courses and your work. Yeah, and which is I how we, we re- reconnected. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm glad and, you're And on. I think it's amazing what you do. So it's it's Thank really a, a great thing. And so, yeah, so many things have changed in the last years since you've done the podcast, as you know, mostly technology, right? Tech, like for, for my first, well, you know, I've been doing this forever. So- now I'm 43 years in as a professional music creator. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so the first 30 years, not much changed at all. Yeah. You know, it was pretty much, you know, we got from, went from cassettes to CDs, but, you know, not much change. We went from reel to reels to digital recording, but still not much change. We were packaging cassettes. Then we were packaging CDs. We were putting them in the mail. We were handwriting letters we were putting on stamps you know not much changed and then all of a sudden technology changed everything and now you know the extent of metadata back then was you know if you remember to to take a sharpie and write on the cd or a phone number you know and now right there was no metadata Now we are all consumed in the last even five years of just endless metadata, endless spreadsheets, endless tech platforms, endless places where people want to take our money, you know, that we can't register our songs ourselves. They're trying to convince us that we have to pay them 20% or 15% of what we make to just register our songs, crazy stuff like that. Right. And of course, the MLC came about, which is the most recent. And now in the last few months, AI has been endless issues with artificial intelligence. And so I see what has happened since the last time you podcasted and ask people like me and discuss with yourself the what's happened in terms of licensing, sync licensing, and also, you know, music licensing for major label artists, which is also something I do. I don't do much self-releasing. For me, I find that to be not lucrative and pretty useless. I do mostly things for major label artists and major productions. And in that sense, everything has changed. You know, also, you know, five years ago, I could attach a CD to an email. I mean, attach uh, an MP3 to an email. Now, God forbid you attach anything. Everything has to be a link and everything. And now there's disco and everything has to go through disco, right? Right, right. It's just like endless platforms, endless places we have to register our songs to get our micro pennies because so many places paying us those micro pennies, you know, in the past, you just registered your songs at your PRO and Harry Fox and you were done. Yeah. (laughs) You were good to go. Good to go. Yeah. I mean this, and I've been doing sync since 1987 when it wasn't even sync, you know, it was called a placement. Nobody called it sync and no one did it because it was very low class and people thought, what I did was very low class until some of my co-writers started getting their royalty statements and going, 
Oh wait, wait a minute. Maybe there's <laughs> maybe there's something to this. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you know, when I started doing Senka so long ago when no one it really was low class, people just thought that was the lowest thing you could do on the planet was have your songs and TV shows and movies. No one wanted to do that. Really? I I I mean I got yeah, I guess I sort of remember the perception like if a major artist licensed one of their songs in a commercial or something, it was sort of frowned upon. Until people stopped buying CDs and then all of a sudden everybody wanted to figure out how to license their music, right? Well, exactly. And you see, that's what happened was that I morphed completely because in the year 2001, I had a huge hit song. Napster, you know, just spilled it. And there were 567,000 illegal downloads the first day before it came out, the day before the release date, official release date. Yeah. One of the artist's boyfriends released, you know, the song to Napster. And that was that. And at that moment, and then I had another big hit, two big hits in in 2001 and 2002. I went, okay, you know, they they both both were who were these sorry to interrupt you no i was just gonna ask who who was the who were the hit songs for was this the first one was for a group called eden's crush which was from a tv show called pop stars which was before american idol right before american idol and it was huge and the song was the theme of the show and the hit song for the group and nicole scherzinger was the main person who became famous Mm, right that she then went on to do the Pussycat Dolls. And so this was huge. The TV show was number one and the album was number one and the song was huge. And in Canada, it was 10 weeks, number one and big, big called Get Over Yourself. And then also Nick Carter. Yes. From with his hit song, Help Me. So Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. And that's that song was huge all over the world, a huge international hit. But the problem was they went gold, but they would have gone platinum if they weren't so illegally downloaded everywhere. Yeah. And, right. And I realized then, okay, I got to just, I was already doing sync. Cause as I said, I started that in 1987 and this was in 2001, but I, at that point went, okay, we are going to be all sync all day. Yeah. And, so you, right, <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. I, had, I had some other really big major label releases in that time in the next few years as well. But I stopped pursuing it as wholeheartedly because I was pitching the songs to these to the major labels, to the A&R people. I was pitching them myself and getting them cut. But I switched and morphed to sync all day because of that. Yeah, because you yeah. just weren't it just wasn't as lucrative because because record sales weren't what they used to be. Is that more or less what happened? Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I just saw the writing on the wall. I went, this is not going to be good. And this is not going to change. And I could see, I didn't know all of this other streaming would happen because of course, in those days, we had no clue about what was streaming didn't exist. Right. That would work. But I could tell that this was going to steadily go downhill from what I was used to in terms of selling records. And this was not going to work. So I then became like had thousands of placements after that, just pitching, pitching, pitching. And I was on the music team of guiding light, the soap opera for 18 years. 
Wow. And <clears throat> excuse me, from 1993 till it got canceled in 2009. And yeah. so I really just spent so much time doing more of that, just writing for shows, writing for movies. So, just- so, so what is being on? So I've had a lot of songs on The Young and the Restless and a few on All My Children, um, none on Guiding Light. But what is being on the music team um, consist of? What does that entail? What? What are you doing? Well, that gig doesn't really exist anymore. Okay. Anymore, but what it was then was I actually supplied a great portion of the songs to the show. Okay. okay. All those years. I survived six executive producers and five music supervisors because usually they come and can all the people and bring in their own people. And I was very blessed that I got kept. And everything that I wrote, in those days, pretty much went on the show. And they would call me and they would say, oh, my God, they just turned the club on the show to a Latin club. We need songs and salsa today. Oh, my God. Right. Okay. Then so I would go and find translator and buy, you know, percussion instruments. and I'd make all these songs in Spanish. And then yeah. they would be on the show. And I so pretty much everything I wrote was on the show. Cool. And that was an amazing gift because of course it was network money every day royalties yeah. so yeah. it was massive and i did all my children a bit and i mm-hmm. had songs on one life to live a bit i got nominated for an emmy for one life to live i won for guiding life but i got nominated for one life to live i did um as the world turns i did another world for eight years until it got canceled and a little on general hospital i'd done and Cool. So you did you did a lot of day, daytime TV. I did so a lot wh- of daytime, but I know what, but I did tons of nighttime too. Yeah. It's just that there there was an opportunity in daytime that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore because the young and the restless is sewn up by one licensing company that licenses all the songs now to that show. So that yeah. person gig. And and that person has an exclusive agency, and I don't like to do exclusives, even though I love the person who does it. I mean, I so, love. So, so you're saying they license music primarily through one person or one yes. agency? Now, Can song, you- and the composers are on staff, but hmm. the, they change their licensing agreement. But but they- I still, for example, I mean, I have songs on the Young and the Restless, pretty much every quarter through through the publisher that I use. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The publisher that you use, you can tell me later, is probably the one I'm talking about. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. I, I, uh-huh. I thought for some reason that they worked with several different publishers, but then yeah. that, that may have changed. Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, okay yes. gotcha. They, they ended up doing a gratis deal where they used to pay me per song license. Yeah, they used to pay more back in the day. Yep. Right, then they dropped their fee, and then they went to totally gratis. And when they went to gratis, they wouldn't grandfather in the people who had the contracts already. Yeah. And so that, that, um, this one publisher, I call it a licensing agent, but publisher, this one person is doing exclusive deals and it's getting all the songs in the show. Yeah. And- so, so when you say gratis, just so people listening to this are aware what that means, no money up front, there's still back end royalties. Obviously, but but no Correct. more. Gratis up, up means free. In Spanish, yeah. gratis means free. Yeah, gratis. Yeah. Right. So, so, so yeah. So it, it doesn't. It's not as good of a gig as it used to be. Um, 
Well, it's a great gig, it, but I just don't want to do the exclusive. Yeah, so, no, and I, you know I, I don't mean? blame you. I, and I, I, love, I love that publisher, too. I mean, I used to work with that publisher when they did non-exclusives. Like, love, oh, love yeah. them. It's not, yeah. it's, it's just that, you know, I, yeah. So they, well, they are lucky to have that gig. Yeah, good for them. Maybe not as good for the writers, but you know, we're all grateful right. to get, to get kind of whatever opportunities yeah. that, that come to us. This is a perfect segue though. And because I get this question all the time, should I sign exclusive deals? You're obviously alluding to the fact that you don't like to sign them. It sounds like, what are your thoughts in general on exclusive versus non-exclusive deals? This is one of those questions okay. that always, always comes up. Yeah. So, so in my world, right. Cause I can't, speak for other people's business but what I teach in my course and and mentor to everyone I speak with is I love doing exclusives if they pay me if Mm. it's commission like I was saying when we first started I do commissions day and night so the music library comes to me and they want to commission me to make an album of songs or or an EP of songs or whatever they want I love doing that they pay me up front and I know I'm the surrogate and I'm making the songs to give to them to license and pitch themselves. I love that. And it's exclusive, but I do not believe in doing exclusives for people to just give them the songs. Right. Yeah. Where there's nothing up front and no guarantee that anything will happen. Right. Yes. And I have only done it with two songs and I did it because I absolutely adore the person who runs the library and did it with them. But I mm-hmm. have read it every day. Yeah. Every and day. Why, I, why, why I, have you, why have you regretted it? Because nothing happened with the songs. No, actually they've been placed a teeny bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot, but a little bit, but because they're my babies and I see opportunities every day to pitch them and I can't pitch them. And it makes me crazy not to have them in my catalog and not to own them. Now I can get them back soon. And, but, but it, it was great for me personally to do this and be able to impart to others how much it has made me unhappy. And maybe that will help them understand. Maybe they don't want to give their songs away. Look, some a lot of people who do instrumental music only do exclusives. It's a lot easier, as any of us know who create both, to make an instrumental piece. Sure, you can create, you can create them much more quickly than vocal tracks, right? Correct. But to make a vocal track is painstaking. It might take me a hundred hours to produce it. You know, I become very attached to my little babies and to give them away without being paid for it. I just can't. I don't even like to be paid for them when they're existing. I'm like, I'll make you another one. Let's do a commission. Yeah. Right. So that, but I have done that. I have sold some of them out of my catalog when people have really wanted them and, you know, paid for them. But I, I, I'd rather just commission it right from the start. And actually, when I commission them from the start, sometimes they're the best songs I've ever made because I have to care so much 
because I'm hired to make them. You know, it's yeah. not like I dumb them down. Sometimes they're even better because I really have to make sure they're great. So that's my feeling on exclusives and non-exclusives. You know, yeah, no, I appreciate your. Yeah, you no, know, it's interesting hearing your your perspective. And you have been at this um, a lot longer than I have at sync at licensing, getting placements. When you started back in the late eighties was because I, I did my first placement in 2002 and it was an exclusive deal through this one particular publishing company. It was my former songwriting teacher at Berkeley. And the first deal that I signed was exclusive. And I didn't know a lot about the industry at that point in my career, but when you started was exclusive has it changed a lot over the years like it seems like there's many more non-exclusive libraries now than there was when I started what was it like when you started first of all I didn't use the libraries back okay. then okay but I gotcha. so agree with you that there are many more non-exclusive libraries now and they're fantastic and everybody should use them and yeah. the music in them and non-exclusive you know people always ask me well can I give it to someone else? Well, they don't seem to understand. Non-exclusive is non-exclusive. You own it. You can do whatever you want. And I love, love non-exclusive. The first foray I really had into a non-exclusive library was with Guiding Light because they did take a piece of the publishing and they I did retitle the songs. Okay. Though they didn't actually call it a library, it kind of was. You know what I mean? Mm, but it was yeah. non-exclusive. I could do whatever I wanted with the real titles and the real copyrights. So that was my first foray into it was back in 1993 when I started working on all those Procter & Gamble shows. But mm. other than that, I didn't work with music libraries. I pitched the songs directly. So I pitched them to the music supervisors. Back in the day, there were 10 music supervisors, right? And then there are 10,000. I mean, there and and those usual suspects, most of them are still working, but there were just a handful. I pitched to all the A&R people directly. I didn't use song pluggers. I didn't use sync agents. I didn't use music libraries. Those started to crop up later. Well, song pluggers always existed because in Nashville, song pluggers existed. And, And they existed a little bit in pop music. But the sync agent concept wasn't wasn't as prominent as it is today. And the same, though the libraries existed, but the libraries in those days, like APM and those kind of libraries, they did mostly instrumental music that was very inexpensive and not very popular and mostly used for ads and things that were in the background, not like today where library music is used everywhere. I mean, major placements with library music. So I don't think I really started using the libraries until maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, really using the non-exclusive libraries when they all started cropping up. And the, again, the exclusive libraries when I started getting hired to do commissions. So Got it's you. Newer... And it's all of more of a newer thing in a way. I mean, in the last 20 years or so. Do, do you feel like, and, and just a heads up, we've got about 
seven or eight minutes left. And then uh, I'm trying this, this newer, shorter format. I know people are busy and people have short attention spans. So I'm trying to keep these podcasts a, li- a little tighter. I'm trying to keep it to around 30 or 40 minutes sure. um, just to let you know. But one of the questions that, that I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you remember this, but during our last podcast, and I, I remember it was one, by the way, one of my favorite podcasts that I ever did was with you, you and one or two other people really stood out to me and all the, you know, over a hundred podcasts I did. And one of the things that I enjoyed about our podcast, Michelle was, was your attitude. I remember it, like today, you're very optimistic and, and upbeat and positive. But one of the things you said during our previous podcast was you said something along the lines, and I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing, but it was something like, I think I was asking you how, you know, what the best way for writers to go about getting their music licenses. And you said something like, you know, whether it's through a publisher or a library or a supervisor, you know, a sink is a sink is is a sink. I don't know if you remember saying that, but do you still agree with, with that assessment? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I agree with it. It's all like amazing. And even people say to me, well, do you get like jaded? And I'm like, no, every time I get a placement, I'm rushing to call my father. I call my husband. I'm like, right. So exciting. Yay. Yesterday, something really happened. That was really cool. And I'm calling people, telling them, you know, my close people, not bragging, just like, I'm just as excited as ever. And I think, yes, for everybody, I'm excited for them too. Like it's fantastic. It's hard to get a placement. You know, and like if you get a theme song or a title song or like a single on the radio, every star aligns. If you get a song on some major artist album, I mean, you know, it's they're all good. Every one of them is good. So I don't sit there going, oh, that's a bigger sink. That's a smaller sink. No, they're all right. good. exciting. I mean, they propel us to not quit. Yeah, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I'm going to quit. I'm done already. Uh, something good happens. And I'm like, oh, damn, now I can't quit. You know? Yeah, right. Right. right? It's, yep. like, yeah. it's like, and and yes, we have to be positive and optimistic because if not, Aaron, we kill ourselves. Right. Yeah. This, is hard. this is hard. We get rejected all day long. Right. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I think for most, I mean, I don't know if I don't know about you, but I love writing music. I love music so much that it takes very little to to keep me motivated. I mean, even if it's another Young and the Restless placement or another Fox Sports, like it doesn't take much. It's like even those little placements add up over time and they're they're still still very exciting to me. Oh, they're so exciting. Oh my goodness. And I'm like you too. Like I love making music and you know, fighting with my writing partner over lyric lines like we did last night. And you know, it's it's just brilliant. It's just, we're so lucky. We're so blessed that we do this. And we're also cursed that we do this because it's hard. It's a blessing and a curse. Absolutely. I I describe it that way all the time. The blessing has given me something to devote my life to, but it can, it can be so frustrating at the same time at times, but, um, but I love it Frustrated for others, right? Like the ones that I'm hearing and for the, for the people listening to this podcast, I'm like, don't give up, don't give up. Just do it. Just, you know, you have to diversify. You have to put your eggs in so many baskets, you know, you can't like, like, you know, stop because if you stop, nothing happens. Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect note to end this podcast on. So let's do this really quick, Michelle. Let's tell people where they can learn more about you, 
Um, should we send them to your uh, website or what is the best way for people to connect with you? The best way to people connect with me is LinkedIn because on Facebook, I'm almost out of people, but I did just open a new Facebook open group. All mine have been private, but people can come join. It's called from song to sync open. People can come do that and they can come see me on LinkedIn that is the easiest way. And if people send me a private message on LinkedIn, I always respond because I want people to respond to me. Like, so yeah. I don't ignore things. If I don't respond, I didn't get it because, you know, it's really rude. Like I'm cold pitching people and I want them to talk to me. So I yeah. always talk to, I always engage though. I'm easy to really easy to find. My website doesn't have a contact information. So it's, it's, gotcha. difficult, you know, but go to my website for sure. If you want to see, read my credits and you can Google my name. Anybody can Google my name and there's just thousands of things that come up all over the place. And, and uh, my credits and my songs and my the YouTube videos and just all that crazy stuff that right with you. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. And I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes as well. Thank so people you. can look below this podcast to find your LinkedIn and website and all, all right. that good stuff. But Michelle, thank you so, so much for doing this. It was, it was a pleasure connecting with you again. And I'm glad you could kind of help me relaunch this podcast. And I'm glad we got in touch and uh, did this. I'm honored. And, you know, if you want to do a part two, always let me know. I'm always available and I love what you do. So I'd love to. Let's keep in touch. I I want to get this kind of back up and running again, but absolutely. Let's keep in touch. I'd love to bring you back on in a few months. I'd be honored. Okay. Be well. Thank you, Michelle. Have a great night. Great day. Nice speaking with you.